Well, good morning. It is my understanding that Eric and part of his crew are on a baseball pilgrimage of sorts. Eric watches more baseball games in one week than I believe I will see all year. But he called and asked if I would, uh, I guess I'm the part of the bullpen. I'm not sure if I'm the setup, the reliever or what. Um, asked if I would preach this morning. You know, and it is always flattering when Eric calls because I think, you know, he has enough confidence in me that I'm not going to bring shame and embarrassment on the church to put me up here in front of you all. And then I was reading this week in a news article that this Sunday is the lowest attended Sunday out of the whole year. (laughs) So God has ways of humbling you. Uh, So maybe that invitation was flattering as I first thought. But nevertheless, it's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, Join me as we ask God's blessings on our time in his word. Father, uh, we do thank you for your many gifts and the forms that they come to us. Uh, Father, even the gift of fellowship here together. We thank you for the gifts that come to us in human form, both us here together today. But we do thank you for Eric and for his ministry Pray that as he spends time away, that he be refreshed and re-energized as he returns to it. Uh, Father, we thank you that we can come to you and ask of you anything, and you promise to give it to us. And so what we need this morning, during this time especially, is we need your Holy Spirit to take things away from us that would distract us or keep us from believing what you tell us, and to give things to us that we need in order to hear you properly and follow your ways. And so we pray, give us your Holy Spirit and guide us into all truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my first job out of college was in Hollywood, California. And it was working for a financial firm just off Sunset Boulevard. That, and this financial firm managed the money of people in the entertainment industry. Actors, NFL players, rock stars, etc. And being the junior associate I was, I was spent, spent much of my days attorney over these people, conducting transactions. You see, we had full power of attorney over these people. We could sign any check from any account. We had their birth date, their social security number, their mother's maiden name. We could do anything. And so it wasn't unusual as part of my day's work to buy a boat, <laughs> to buy a house, Uh, One of my favorite purchases was a $2,000 purchase of custom hangers for a closet. You know if you're spending $2,000 on hangers. At that point, you have too much money. (laughs) That's the point, (laughs) is $2,000 hangers. But maybe my favorite purchase was when I got to buy a fully loaded Lincoln Navigator with leather interior and have it delivered to a music studio in Boca Raton. I thought I had really come to something at that moment. And what I discovered through that experience was this. I am really good at spending other people's money. <laughs> I have, it comes naturally. I have a real knack for it. <laughs> that if you give me your money, I promise to spend it. That there was some joy exhilaration that I got out of this experience, as we all do, Right? It's fun spending other people's money when it doesn't affect your bottom line. But of course, this morning, what Deuteronomy 8 reminds us is God sees our lives. We're all living. 
that if we could see our lives as God sees our lives, we would recognize that we're spending someone else's money. Because what Deuteronomy 8 tells us is that nothing we have belongs to us inherently, but rather everything we have comes to us from God. He owns everything. Everything belongs to him, and he's entrusted things to us to manage. And so right now as we speak, we are living our lives spending someone else's resources, and that is the resources God's entrusted to us. Now, I told you about the glamorous side of my job. The less glamorous side of my job was the monthly reports that we had to provide to clients, where we had to put together these these reports every month to present to clients to show them how we were spending, managing, and growing their money. Apparently, when you have power of attorney over somebody's money, they like some level of accountability. (laughs) Who knew? But similarly, that dynamic is present here in Deuteronomy 8, again, that God not only gives us gifts and resources to use, to spend, to manage, but he also demands a certain level of accountability that he tells the people of Israel, I will hold you to account for how you manage these, this dynamic I've entrusted to you. In Christian circles, you sometimes hear this dynamic referred to as stewardship, that we are stewards, the Bible tells us, which means God owns everything, and he simply makes us trustees. He makes us stewards. He gives us these things to manage on his behalf. And like, like I had in my own experience, that there is a level of accountability he demands as a result. But did you notice that in here, God, through Moses, introduces a problem? And the problem is the Israelites' brains. The problem is the brain. That God says in here, I'm going to give you these things to manage, to spend, to use. But the problem is, you're going to have a faulty memory. You will forget me. You will forget me. You will forget the Lord. Forget is one of the most common used words in that whole passage. That God says, I'm going to surround you with all these things, and instead of remembering me, you will forget me. That we are forgetful people. We become functional atheists. That we act as if, as if though God doesn't exist, as if we are solely to claim the possession of all these things. Of course, Israel's experience is not too pretty in this sense. That God says, I'm going to surround you with prosperity, and the prosperity is going to blind you. And of course, as we sit here today, we sit in one of the more prosperous times and in one of the more prosperous places the world has ever known. Uh, If you make over $32,000 a year, you are one of the top 1% earners in the world. And so we live in a place that's overflowing, as God described that land, maybe not so much as merely natural resources, but as financial resources. And the Bible, over and over again, starting in Deuteronomy 8 and elsewhere, says that this prosperity... This affluence tends to, over time, have a blinding effect on people. That it makes them blind to the Lord as the giver of all these things. Israel succumbed to it and tempted by it. We are also the same. That as we are surrounded, we are 
blind to the God who supplies us with all these things. In fact, did you notice in the passage that was read, God describes how he has brought them thus far, and he describes all the adversity they face, you know, waterless, snake-filled wilderness. And then he describes the wonder of the land that they're going to inherit, which is just a reminder to us that God does so. He also tests through adversity like he did Israel in the wilderness, but he also, as he warns them here, he also tests them through prosperity as he brings them into this land to see if they will remember him in prosperity as they had had to learn in adversity. What, what would life look like if every day we looked at everything the way Deuteronomy 8 describes? What would our life look like if we saw everything as belonging to God and merely uh, ourselves as stewards of these resources? Well, I just want to point out this morning just two things from this passage that the Bible says our lives would be characterized by if we see everything as God sees it. And that is that, that seeing God and remembering God leads to praise and it leads to productivity. Praise and productivity. That first point, that if we really remember the Lord, we will praise Him, comes out in verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord. When you have your fill, when you have what you need and maybe even a little more, praise the Lord. Because as Deuteronomy 8 says, you have those things because He gave you those things. That these things are gifts from Him for which you should be thankful. That there should be praise, gratitude, and worship. You may do. Of course, Deuteronomy 8 goes on to warn, says, but they, that's not going to be the only thing you may do. Your instinct, according to verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. In other words, I did it. It belongs to me. I can do what I want with it. That this is going to be the temptation, God says. I'm going to give you all kinds of things, and you're going to think that you're the sole, the sole person involved in this whole thing. You know, if you want to see this, just uh, spend some time with toddlers. That if you keep nursery or you have toddlers or have had toddlers, you know that one of the first words that a toddler will learn to pronunciate is mine. <laughs> mine. That if children have something and that's you or another child or anybody, a dog, tries to take that thing from them, that they will claim mine. Even though there's a high likelihood they did not pay anything for that particular toy, right? It, it, it changes a little bit when your kids get into their elementary years. They mature in their possessiveness. That it's now, can you keep my brother out of my room? My room. And if you go into your files and look for the lease or the lease payments, you won't find them. Even though that room belongs to them, uh, they have not paid anything for it, right? But they claim everything is mine. Now, if tell my sister to stop stealing my charger, these sorts of things. Now, it even gets more mature and refined in the teenage years. Because in the teenage years, as I've discovered now as the proud father of two teenage drivers... That what I discover in the teenage years is that they are driving my car. That even though if they look in the glove compartment at the registration, that their name is nowhere on it, it is nevertheless their car. That even recently I had the experience of having a car in the shop and needing to be picked up at work by one of my teenage drivers. And so they graciously came and, and 
function as my chauffeur. And as we were driving home, I was informed of how thankful I should be of the ride home that I was being given in my car (laughs) with the gas that I had paid for. (laughs) So, you know, it doesn't matter what stage or age of life you are. You just find different ways to manifest this out, right? As adults, we get savvier with it. Uh, But nevertheless, it's still at work that everything is mine, mine. But of course, the Bible reminds us this morning, no, everything we have belongs to God, that he owns everything, that he wants us to see uh, everything we have, like I want my teenagers to see their car, (laughs) that that they should use it something that's been entrusted to them, that involves responsibility and accountability, that they should use it well and wisely. And that's how Deuteronomy 8 wants us to see everything in life, from our finances to our bodies, and that when we do see the things that God has given us, that it should not lead to mine, it should lead to praise. Praise the Lord your God when you've eaten and are satisfied. Hosea 13, God warned of this same thing. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot me. Then they forgot me. 1 Corinthians even, Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 reminds us, who, who makes you different? What do you have that you did not receive, Paul says. As people in this Corinthian church were boasting and bragging, Paul says, "Uh, just remind me, what do you have that wasn't a gift? And if it's a gift, you have no reason to boast. And that's true here. God reminds the people of Israel. Everything we have has been given to us. So the good news, too, another reason to praise God that comes out in Deuteronomy 8 is that God loves to give us stuff. He loves it, and not just give us stuff, but to give us good things. He tells the people of Israel, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you pomegranates, olive oil, honey, the big rock candy mountain he describes here. That and elsewhere to blow, you're going to love it. And God loves, the Bible tells us here and elsewhere, to give good gifts. That in other words, God is a giver. It's part of his nature. He does not have to like find something deep within him to find a reason to give. He loves it. And even his children's own forgetfulness will not keep him from giving good gifts to his children. And so we should praise him for it. You know, it did remind me as I was thinking about this passage just how often it is hard to have a mindset of abundance. And by that I mean that God owns everything. We don't live in a closed-off world. We live in an open world in which God is actively involved and sovereign over everything. And so instead of being scared and feeling like we have to fight and claw and cheat and steal for everything, that we need to live as people who believe, no, this this world is open and the God who is in charge of it and active in it is a God who loves to give us things. And so we can ask him for things and have expectation that he will be generous to us. You know, if you ever need to be convinced that this world is open, that God is actively in charge, and that he will give good gifts. The Bible reminds us that Jesus Christ and his resurrection is the ultimate proof that we're not living in a closed-off, godless world, but that the world is open, God's in charge, as we see Jesus is risen from the dead and Lord of all. And so that should lead us to praise. As we see what God's entrusted to us, as we use these things and enjoy these things, the Bible says, when you've eaten and are satisfied... Praise, praise, praise. 
But there's something else that is brought out here in this passage, and that's the second thing I mentioned. It doesn't just talk about praise, but it also talks about productivity. Verse 18, remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant. That God, you know, it might, it might be tempting if you really believe God owns everything, that he is good, and that he likes to give me things, then I'll do nothing. That could be a tempting thought to have. In fact, there were people in the New Testament who had that thought. And, and so it might be tempting to say that, but God says, no, actually I'm giving you things so that you can go do things with those things, so that you can produce, so you can be a productive, contributive member to society. And so God says this is a call not to passivity, but to participate in his world through the gifts he's given. So this comes out also in the Gospels. You may remember the parable of the talents, right? When Jesus talked to servants as the, who divided up his estate and gave uh, a differing portion to three of his servants, as the master goes away, he comes back to settle accounts. And as he settles accounts, you remember there's two servants who have taken their portion invested it, used it wisely, grown it. And Jesus says that in this parable, the master praises these people. But there's the third servant. You remember the third servant is the one who buried it and brought it back just as it was. And what was Jesus' pronouncement of the master upon that servant? But wicked, slothful servant. Now, and Jesus is talking about the kingdom uh, of God in that passage, but the principle remains true, which is, God expects us to take his gifts and to improve upon them, to use them, to invest them, to grow them, not to merely bury them in the ground and do nothing with them. That this is what he told Israel he expected of them was to use their gifts, the skills that he had given them, and to put them to work in the world to supply themselves and others. You know, it is interesting, this idea of productivity uh, in the Bible, especially for Israel, that this was something that if you go through the Old Testament and you read, you'll be surprised at how many of your favorite Bible characters that their vocation is mentioned. Their nine-to-five job, get about their nation somewhere around the time that they're first introduced in the narrative. But we often forget about their nine-to-five job, right? We forget about Moses' job. But, you know, his job wasn't just running into burning bushes in the wilderness, right? He actually did stuff for a living. Uh, those were disruptions to his day job. <laughs> uh, and th this is the way that God has always worked, even through some of the more notable people in the Bible. That Moses was a shepherd, Jacob was a rancher, Joseph was a secretary, right? Daniel was a scholar, Matthew was an IRS agent, so on and so forth. That these people were stewards and productive with the gifts that God had given them. And so in here in Deuteronomy, God doesn't just expect them to receive gifts, but God expects them to use those gifts. And, he, of course, this is, still holds true for us today. God gives us gifts, skills, and abilities, and he expects us to use them, to improve them, because, as Genesis 1 through 3 says, he's given us dominion over the earth. He wants us to use these things for our good and for the good of our neighbor. You know, for the, uh, as I've mentioned probably to you before, my high school and college years, I did not set any academic records, or at least none of the positive kind. Um, 
I, I really, I was a Christian. I attended church every Sunday. I was involved in small group. I volunteered. But for whatever reason, about academic, I actually did not at least functionally believe that God cared about academics or the life of my mind. And that all changed, actually, when I read a book. I got around to reading a book, finally, uh, and decided that might be a good use of time, and read a book by a Christian professor uh, named Mark Knoll. A book came out in the early 90s called Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. And in this book, he talks about from the Bible and history about God's call to use the mind uh, as a gift to steward and to use for God's glory. And I discovered, you know, God cared about my mind, that he actually had given it to me, not just to watch reruns of Cheers and the Cosby Show, but, but to actually use in some productive capacity uh, for, for myself and for others. And so God brings uh, to the attention of Israel, just as he did to me, that these things he's given us, whether they're physical resources, human resources, financial resources, God has entrusted them to us to use for our good, to supply ourselves, our family, and our neighbor. But once again, we come back to the problem of this passage, and that is that praise and productivity are all well and good, and the productivity leads back to praise and so on and so forth. But the problem we keep coming back to is that word forget, that we tend as the Lord. The Bible warns us this morning that we, we forget the Lord. I read a book a few years ago about, uh, written by a, Christian, a neuroscientist who happens to be a Christian. And the book, uh, the title is The Second Forgetting. And it's about a Christian perspective on Alzheimer's. I'd encourage you to read it, read it if you've ever been touched by that disease. And in this book, The Second Forgetting, he, he talks about how, well, actually, if you go through the Bible, if you read passages like Deuteronomy 8, you're reminded that even in our healthiest of days, we are forgetful people. That, in other words, we all have faulty minds to one degree or another. That even in our healthiest of days, we lose perspective on what is really what. Israel loses perspective on whoever, what everything belongs to, who everything belongs to. And we do the same. And we forget the Lord even when we're in our peak physical condition. That there's something wrong with ourselves, something wrong with our brains, as this book shows that we are forgetful people even when we're healthy. Of course, the flip side of that is also good news, which is this, that though we are forgetful people, God is not. Right? That though Israel, I don't want to, you can close your ears if you've never, that is, but I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Save you some time through the minor prophets. That Israel will keep forgetting the Lord. They will do it over and over and over again. And every book you think God's finally going to do what he should have done a long time ago and cut these people loose. He threatens divorce. He brings indictments. He does everything. But at the end of every chapter, God remembers his covenant. He remembers Abraham and Sarah. And he refuses to do what deserves to be done, to cut them off. And the good news of the Bible is that though our minds may be faulty, and though we may forget the Lord, God never forgets us or his promises to us, even when we forget him. 
You know, I didn't plan it this way, but in God's good timing, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning, right? Which the two words, it, it, it bids us ringing in our ears, remember me, remember me. It's almost as if God knew ahead of time that we were going to need reminders and gave us a sacrament like this. But why do we need to gather weekly? Why do we, why have Christians needed daily prayers throughout the centuries? And frequent table meal like this is because God knows our weakness and he, he accommodates it by giving us these reminders so that we would remember him. To remember that we are who we are, we, we are together, we are part of his body because of his gifts and that he's not done giving. That as Paul says in Romans 8, that the God who gives us his son will graciously give us all things. And that we need frequent reminders. We need frequent reminders, just like we have to remind our kids that technically not everything is theirs. <laughs> it's gifts that have been entrusted to them. God has to remind us, his, his adolescent children, that everything belongs to him. He owns everything. It should fuel our prayer life because of that. It should fuel our productivity. It should fill us with praise and gratitude. But unfortunately, as the Bible shows over and over again, we forget the Lord. But the good news is God does not forget us. There is one interesting little twist in the Bible that we don't see coming as we read it. And that is there is one thing in the Bible that God can't remember. That God actually is forgetful about. And that comes out in Jeremiah 31 and that the days are Jeremiah 31, where it says in Jeremiah 31, the prophecy that the days are coming declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And it says in that covenant, I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. That the one thing the Bible says that we can be absolutely certain God forgets is our sin. And this morning, through the word and through this sacrament, we are given the assurance that indeed he has forgotten our sin. He has chosen to remember it no more. And the good news as well is that he has not forgotten us. That though we may forget and neglect his covenant, he is a covenant-keeping God. He seals his covenant with us, and he gives us the reminders that we belong to him for all of eternity, whether or not we remember him day to day. And so this morning, the scripture invites us to both repent and believe. To repent when we've forgotten the Lord. When we have looked at our, our, our homes, our bank accounts, our skills, our abilities, whatever may they may be, our children, and we have taken pride instead of in as gifts from the Lord for praise. Where we have seen them as our own production rather than as gifts from the Lord. But as well, the Bible calls us to believe this morning. To believe that the God of Israel is your God as well. And that he's a God who loves to give. Who will withhold no good thing from you, his child. And that we can expect to be teeming uh, with abundance this week. As we serve and live in his world. And the Bible gives us the assurance that, yes, there will be times that we forget the Lord, 
But the good news is that he has forgotten our sins. So praise be to his name. Join me in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you that you are a covenant-keeping God and that you are faithful to not remember our sins. It is one of the great astonishing truths of all the Bible. And Father, help us to actually believe that this morning. Help us actually believe the words of Jeremiah and Hebrews, that you are the God who indeed remembers our sins no more. And Father, we pray as well, would you give us your Holy Spirit this week, that we might remember you, that as we go about working and putting to use the skills you've given us, and Father, even when we find ourselves in need, that we would look to you as the providing God, the God who gives, the God who is that we would expect things from you and acknowledge all that does come from you. And so may our lives be characterized by praise and productivity. Bring us back to yourself daily, and we thank you for the gift of your word, this fellowship, and this meal as we get to experience it today. In Jesus' name, amen.